Hey friends, uh, welcome. My name is Wade Pallister and uh, today I'm gonna be sharing with you and continuing our teaching series on embodiment as presented in John's gospel. And we've read our teaching text today from John 20. Um, this is a very uh, classic piece of scripture uh, where uh, Jesus appears to Thomas, who previously says to his friends and the rest of his disciples, because he hasn't seen the resurrected Christ yet, that he's not going to believe that Jesus is resurrected until he can actually uh, touch his wounds and uh, put his fingers through the holes in his hands and put his hand in the wounds uh, in his side. And suddenly Jesus is right there in the room. How did that work? Like, it doesn't say that Jesus opened the door or, you know, hey, it's me, it's Jesus, boom, he's there. And then Jesus and Thomas have this interaction that if you grew up in the church like I did, you've heard time and time again. But I think this passage is really super powerful. And I essentially only have one point for you today, one point. Here it is, and this week as I've been thinking about this, it is literally just blowing my mind. Here's my point. Um, when Jesus appeared before Thomas, why did he have scars? Think about that. So here's Jesus, who, of course, through the mystery of incarnation, is a fully God and fully man. He's just been crucified, was raised from the dead, never happened, completely has the power of the Trinity. Why does he have scars? Why isn't he like fully divine glowing, you know, Renaissance painting Jesus? Woo! Like, why isn't he like completely in white and glowing and sanitized, like healed body? Have you ever thought about that? Why does he have scars? He doesn't need to have scars because he's Jesus. He could have healed his own scars, right? Why did he have scars? I think this is an interesting thought because it leads us uh, deeper into this idea. Um, Richard Rohr, who is a uh, Catholic theologian, who I fully admit this entire sermon basically exists because of Richard Rohr. I've been falling deep into a Richard Rohr theology hole, and it's completely revolutionized the way that I think. And um, um, scripture has really, I've seen another perspective on it. And for the first time in a long time, I'm feeling really alive, really energized. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm seeing our faith in a way that I've never seen it before. And it's, uh, it's a really beautiful thing. So big shout out to Richard Rohr for um, speaking truth and for this sermon, and I'm sure many thousands of others that he has inspired people around the globe. Anyways, so here's a point. Richard Rohr uh, reminds us that we have a tendency into shaping God into what we want him to be as dictated by our preferences and our culture. Uh, and of course we live in a very 
individualistic culture. We live in a culture that um, really tends to uh, idolize uh, power, uh, popularity, uh, individualism, as I said before, uh, these are archetypes that we hold up. And I think that Western Christianity um, really likes the idea of a like superhero, all powerful Jesus. Okay, so here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Jesus is not powerful. I'm not saying that Christ did not defeat sin and death at the resurrection on the cross. I'm just saying that in our culture, we tend to like this archetype of cowboy superhero all-powerful, almighty Jesus. Uh, for any of you who grew up in the evangelical church uh, in the 80s, uh, do, you remember, uh, do you remember Carmen, the champion? Let's pull this up here. Do you remember this? Here we go. This is a uh, Carmen the champion. So, yeah, for those of you who didn't grow up in the evangelical church in the 80s and 90s, you probably uh, didn't see this. as performed as some sort of a youth group drama. Uh, this is a very popular contemporary Christian song, which uh, sort of portrayed uh, an imaginary boxing match between uh, Christ and Satan as Jesus is resurrected. Um, and I'm, I'm not here to make fun of um, 80s contemporary Christian music, although it's, because uh, I listen to a lot of it in, in the day, although it's really fun and easy to do. Uh, there was also a lot of really good, and I'm not saying this wasn't good and that it wasn't a powerful message. I'm just saying that it um, portrays our cultural concept of this giant, powerful superhero Jesus. Um, I think we also really like um, a, a God who's, um, who's really popular as well. I think that we uh, often have an evangelical chip on our shoulder that we feel less than in popular culture. So we try to build ourselves up. And if you don't uh, believe me, do you remember the uh, popular Christian t-shirts of the 80s and 90s? Uh, you know, like um, that took popular pop culture logos and Christified them like, uh, uh, I Googled a bunch of these, but I'm not going to bother to pull them up. Like, um, do you remember the Lord's Gym, which was a ripoff of the logo of uh, Gold's Gym? Or uh, I remember one that had like the Budweiser beer logo. And then it was like Budweiser up, you better accept Jesus or all sorts of stuff like that, that we wanted to, uh, you know, sort of cash in on this popular Jesus. The problem um, with that idea is that um, that isn't really who Jesus was. Uh, and it wasn't only us who wanted this superhero Jesus. It was the Jews of the time also. They were looking for this superhero Messiah that was going to overthrow the Romans and take away all their problems and be like, ta-da! And 
that's not who Jesus was. And if you're like me over Easter and you're on Instagram, um, I saw this. This came up on my Instagram screen lots and lots and lots uh, over Easter. And I thought I'd just pull this up for you. Um, this, of course, is the difference between uh, colonizer Jesus and historical Jesus. Um, if I've done my screen sharing rights, I really don't like Zoom, so I'm not super proficient in it. Uh, but this was an Instagram post that I saw multiple times over Easter week um, that I think cuts very deep to our cultural perceptions of what we wish Jesus to be and who he really was. Lots of super powerful stuff right there on that post. It's pretty easy to find. Uh, it's also gets a little close to home. So my point here is that um, Jesus wasn't this all-powerful superhero that we wanted him to be. Um, Jesus was born, of course, um, of in a scandal to uh, a, a teenage mother from uh, an unpopular town on the wrong side of the tracks as a young child. Uh, he fled persecution. He was a refugee uh, to a foreign land. And then uh, as, uh, as a grown man in his ministry, he uh, lived as a homeless man who hung out with uh, not only um, like political revolutionaries, but also sympathizers to the colonial uh, oppressors. Uh, he hung out with blue collar workers and with prostitutes, and he was not super popular uh, among the uh, religious ruling class uh, of his day. Um, and that's exactly what the scandal of the cross and the crucifixion shows to us. You know, if you're going to start a new world uh, religion, um, you know, during Roman times, uh, and you had this radical uh, figure who Jesus was, and you wanted to have a far-reaching influence throughout the entire world, the way not to do that is to have him only hang around for three years with really unpopular people and then have him uh, um, crucified. Um, you know, by the state, have them um, suffer capital punishment in a very short period of time. Like super big giant superhero gods uh, aren't killed by the government. But that's exactly what happened. And that's the beauty of the upside down kingdom uh, of what Christ has modeled to us. So this is what I'm getting at in this passage. What if Jesus's scars are the point of this entire thing, which is different because um, when I was growing up in the evangelical church, this passage was always kind of weaponized. You know, it was like, you'd read this passage, you're like, well, don't be like Thomas. Thomas doubted, you know, uh, you know, he had to, you know, see Jesus and, you know, put his, put his fingers in the holes in his hands. You know, we don't want to be that, you know, it's much better if you don't doubt. But here's another thing that I saw on Instagram this week that I think is a very lovely take on this. 
This comes from um, Cole Arthur Riley on Instagram. Let's go full screen on this. Give me a second. Uh, they have a channel on Instagram called the Black Liturgies um, that I love. They say this, when Jesus tells Thomas not to doubt, it's not condemnation, but compassion. It's God relieving the pain of exclusion and alienation when the sacred feels farther away from you than others. It's God reminding us that even in our doubts, he's never far away from us. As we approach the wounds of Christ, we are reminded of a God who lived in solidarity with the suffering. That's what I'm getting to. That's my whole point. Let's read that again. A God who lived in solidarity with the suffering. We are shown a God who can be trusted. God is not disturbed by our doubting. He just comes back and gets close enough so we can reach out and touch him. Oh, oh my goodness. That slays me. Oh, I love that so much. It's a great reminder of when we uh, read the gospel, we're reminded about so many verses that come to mind about the least and the last, when we are weak, he is strong, the first shall be last. What if the point of all of this is that we are, um, as opposed to wanting to be this big like, ah, we're Christian, we're gonna rule, this big imperialistic colonizing idea, what if we're supposed to embrace our fragility? What if uh, the point is that we're supposed to um, identify with our suffering, that that's the point of Jesus's wounds? Um, and if we're talking about embodiment, about the incarnation of Christ in a body and what an example that is to us to be fully in our bodies and understand that it's important that these things here just aren't meat bags to hold our soul, uh, but there's a deep spiritual reason for it um, that kind of flies in the face of our culture um, that really says that our bodies are a problem and I don't need to prove this point to you. Just look at any advertising. Um, our entire media is uh, fascinated with ways of telling us how we're not good enough, how our bodies uh, don't look the right way. Uh, they encourage us to compare ourselves to some unattainable cultural standard, which is wrong and weird because different cultures have different standards. Um, and that, you know, uh, or bodies like uh, that you're getting old or you have too many wrinkles and through makeup or science or technology that there's a way that we can solve this, that we can live forever. Um, and this is, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't be healthy or that, you know, wanting to feel uh, attractive is a problem. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that we have such a negative view of our bodies. Um, that our culture feeds us, and so does our theology. Uh, once again, I grew up in a faith tradition that basically said that our bodies here are bad. Uh, your feelings of sexuality are bad, and they're evil, and that the whole point to all of this was that one day Jesus is going to come back, and we're going to escape all of this, and we're going to go to heaven. And that's it. And that's the end of that. So if you follow that to its logistical conclusion, it 
poses a lot of problems for a lot of things. Talking about our sexuality, first of all, if in youth group you just tell young people that, you know, your body's bad, your bodies are bad, you know, don't have those thoughts, don't have those thoughts, you know, you're not sexual, you're not sexual. And then if you're a good Christian, you wait until you're married. And you're like, okay, now you're married, have sex, everything's great. And you're like, wait a second. I thought that my genitals were all bad and now everything's great suddenly. Well, you know, God made our sexuality and that's a very beautiful thing, you know, within God's design done properly. So it's not this either or uh, split, you know, I think um, that's really affected us. Or if our faith is all about just, we're just enduring here until we can escape and go to heaven, then who cares about our planet? And let's keep polluting our oceans and, you know, fracking for oil because it doesn't matter because it's all going to burn. I heard that phrase many, many times. It doesn't, we talked about this last year in our teaching series. Um, it also, uh, we had a very bad theology that really essentially wanted to avoid pain. You know, if you go to the right meetings or say the right prayer, then God's going to magically heal everything and God wants to bless you. So we're all going to be rich and drive really nice cars. And, you know, that doesn't happen for most people. So what if you believe that and God doesn't heal you? And, you know, uh, Janis Joplin says, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? What happens if that doesn't happen? Were you wrong? Does God not listen? Or maybe we just kind of got our theology wrong. What if the point of Jesus coming fully in a body was to remind us that this matters. Richard Rohr once again says matter matters. What if salvation, what if what if um, Christ dying on the cross and being resurrected it just wasn't this one-time transaction? What happened? I mean if it was only like this one-time thing that happened so Jesus could take away all of our sins, um, that idea doesn't require our daily participation. Now, you know, um, Matthew 16, 24 tells us to pick up our cross and to follow Christ. That's an action word. You know, if we didn't need to participate in this, it says to, to daily pick up your cross. Um, that requires action on our behalf. Uh, Philippians 2.12, of course, says to work out your salvation. Once again, an action word that takes our participation. It's an ongoing process. Let's go back here to uh, my buddy Richard. Um, he has a wicked good quote here. And we'll continue on. Try and go full screen on that. Okay. There we go. So he says this, Jesus was killed in a collision of cross purposes, conflicting interests and half truths, caught between the demands of an empire and the religious establishment of his day. The cross was the price Jesus paid for living in a mixed world, which is both human and divine, simultaneously broken and utterly whole. 
He hung between a good thief and a bad thief, between heaven and earth, inside of both humanity and divinity, a male body with a feminine soul, utterly whole and yet utterly disfigured. What? That's what we're called to do. Isn't that what we've been taught? That's Vineyard 101, that, you know, we live in God's kingdom that's fully here but not yet, that we're caught in this tension of God's kingdom breaking through and we see beauty and resurrection uh, and God's joy everywhere. And at the same time, we're still surrounded by sorrow and suffering, that these, these two things coexist and it's up to us. As Christ hung in that cross between the good thief and the bad thief, we're called to live in that tension, to bring those two together. This is, um, I think, what we were trying to do with our vineyard statement on uh, LGBTQ issues of trying to find a third way uh, uh, that those uh, who are non-affirming have some really good points and those who are affirming have some really good points. And how do we walk this through together? How do we not split into these two either or factions? How do we walk through this holding that intention in love uh, with our, our suffering of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters who live in that suffering? Um, on both sides. Wow, that's a huge thought. Uh, anyways, Richard continues. Um, Jesus agreed to carry the mystery of universal suffering. He allowed it to change him and us too, so that we'd be freed from the endless cycle of projecting our pain elsewhere or remaining trapped inside of it. Oh, man. so that we'd be freed from the endless cycle of projecting our pain elsewhere or remaining trapped inside of it. Isn't that the entire problem of our modern society is that everyone's just trying to project their pain or dull it or stay trapped inside of it. Leads to addiction issues and broken families and oh, the list goes on and on and on. So what if the purpose of the crucifixion of Christ's wounds was so that way our suffering could be transformed? Oh my, okay, let's get out of there. What if, what if the point of Jesus's scars, which were the result of um, him suffering in solidarity with us, our reminder that um, our pain and our suffering is not something to be avoided or ignored, but it can transform us. Our suffering can remind us that there are many others around the world um, who are suffering much more, and then that can become a tool of intercession uh, for us to stand in solidarity um, with the least. Um, that's a mind-blowing idea. What if instead of like sort of having all the right answers and working out all our theology and having the perfect grid to view everything, what if God just um, wants us to be present? What if God um, just wants us to be fully in our bodies, uh, to be more humble, uh, to be more understanding? What if as Thomas uh, interacted with Christ, with his wounds, um, 
as he was reminded of Christ's wounds uh, and Christ came closer to him. Um, what if we allow that to transform our idea of suffering as well? And so then if we think that way, then ultimately the cross is a symbol and it's the tool to essentially break our ego, um, to make us be less selfish, more less um, narcissistic, uh, to be able to take that unconditional love that God showed us and as opposed to our cultural, you know, Jesus died for me, I'm all good. What if we allow that to transform us into Jesus died for us and God's unconditional love um, towards us can, and that our present day suffering um, can make us more sensitive to the suffering as others and we can lift that up as intercession. That's a huge, huge challenge and completely reframes the way that I think of essentially my entire faith um, since I started going to church uh, and it opens an enormous can of worms um, that I'm really excited to slowly figure out as I get closer and closer to Christ. So let's, let's take this opportunity. Let's allow this text to encourage us to um, step closer to Jesus and to feel his wounds um, so he can heal ours and that we can identify with those wounds and then hold and intercede for the suffering of others. It's a giant idea, isn't it? Um, and I'm really challenged by that. And I've been really, as I said, I've been really encouraged by this idea. Um, so in, uh, in closing up, uh, I'm gonna encourage you to uh, check this out. Uh, to check out um, check out these podcasts if you want. I was turned on to this by uh, Gordon Carroll Taylor, the Bible for Normal People. Uh, Mind-blowingly smart people um, talking about some really, really heavy theological concepts in really easy ways to understand. And of course, another name for everything is Richard Rohr's uh, podcast. Kind of like Alice falling down the rabbit hole, though, <laughs> you know, you blow your mind in a really great way. And then if you spend some time on Instagram, check out the Decolonized Christian and Black Liturgies. Um, they've really uh, helped me out um, and really made me look at things in a new way and brought the gospel to light. All that to say, thanks for listening to people. Thanks for listening, my friends. Wish you all the best this week. Uh, check out those podcasts. Have some fun on Instagrams. Enjoy the sun. Thank you.